0: Father Brian Houghton wrote this beautiful book, which I'm sorry has not gained the currency that it should, with Mitre and Kirk. I think that, I sold around 50 copies of that in the States. Father Brian Houghton, I think his name is. And uh, excellent book. And he he captures in this semi-fictitious sense uh, the psychology of change. That, you know what the whole point is this? There is a myth, that if you have the same thing all the time, it's monotonous. And therefore, the only way to come alive is change, change, change. But that is only relatively so. If you just think of it, that blessed sun, S-U-N, is the same day in and day out. You in England don't know that, but it's (laughs) so. It's so. And every morning we expect the sunrise. And I don't say, oh, curse another sunrise. No, the sunrise was the permanent background against which to look at summer and autumn and winter and spring. There has to be something permanent against which to let the colors of the seasons train so that the, 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 it is the greatest blunder even psychologically, even anthropologically, as James Hitchcock says in one of his books, to change something so intimately connected with the church. Or if the change be, it should only have been organic and slow, because the, the Holy Mass, the liturgy of the church, is like the sunrise. And of course you have seasons, and longer and shorter days, and the different colors of the season. But that sun, that, we don't want that changed. That was the background of our spiritual life. It was the background of the whole life of the church. And of all things in pre-Vatican II, I thought that was the thing least in need of revision. I had all kinds of of suggestions for revising philosophy in Catholic school. I thought it was a disaster. And perhaps we could could have changed courtesy and so on. But that sun, that glorious sun, the most we should have done is to uh, maybe uh, change a few shades in the spectrum. Or added a few brilliant colors in a different season, but nevertheless, the psychology of Bonini's reform, and Van Hildebrand calls him the evil spirit of the liturgical revolution. Whether he intended it as not or not, it's not a question of looking into his mind and saying he consciously plotted the destruction of Catholic worship. No, it need be that he too was caught by utopia. Uh, uh, All these experts, that's their occupational hazard. They read a book or they have a dream and it gleams in their eye and they don't care about experience. They don't care about the the whole rhythm of organic change. They impose something with the full knowledge that it's scientifically accurate or whatever. So whatever it is, but the effect was this, that our sun was made to be some dizzying spectacle. Sometimes it would rise, sometimes not, sometimes here, sometimes there. And this this nervousness is poison for a contemplative life of prayer. And this therefore and this is authorized. I mean, you cannot say that this is due to abuses of liturgical clowns. This from Rome, this from Archbishop Zunini's form of congregation of worship. And also, and let's not forget this, the wretched translation. That, uh, you know, I sometimes have malicious dreams, and they are no doubt sins against charity. But I've got a beautiful one that I don't think will get me into trouble. My fondest dream is that in eternity, certain men are going to wear a sign around their head. Uh, I translated the new ordo into English. That's all. All we can. No hell, nothing else. I want them to take the credit. This abomination, and they're so proud of it, and they have all these sophistical defenses of it, and that the craven hierarchy should always say yes, 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 is unbearable. You know, I hear England and Wales had a better translation, but I, uh, I saw one. Uh, we, we Americans, you know, were such classicists and poets and the like, so you people were sold this atrocity. And, and in other languages, it's more or less accurate. I don't merely mean promultus It's bad enough, but you could not say uh, it's stupid to say just because of that phrase, the whole thing is invalid. Oh, you poor man! The liberals will throw you the phrase. They'll they'll translate into many, and then you want to buy the package, and then then you're happy. Now, how trivial the whole thing is! But this whole the whole wretched uh, from the point of view of accuracy from the point of view of arrogance, that in their own wisdom they know there's no such thing as spirit, therefore they speak of self, and all of these things. This is a disgrace. I mean, we should have another sign. I authorized the new translation. <laughs> that, that's going to be delicious. There should be this kind of little cute revenge. I hope it's in heaven. But, anyway. <clears throat> now, this... Uh, Something we ought to know is this. I've spoken, I I think I know many, many groups fighting modernism in the church. In fact, I think in America I've been involved with most of them. And we usually split up, of course. That's the name of the game. Uh, We get a lot of action that way. But the trouble with most resistance movements to modernism, I think, is this. They're too narrow. It's nice to have a specialty, but some people worry only about the mass. Some people worry only about uh, the destruction of Christian ethics. Some people only worry about the catechism. But anybody with eyes to see should see it all goes together. It's cut from the same cloth. We have this evil spirit in the church which denies or mutes or distorts the vertical dimension to God, the supernatural, so that it shows up, of course, in liturgy in stupid translations, in blasphemous or otherwise silly antics in the liturgy. But, of course, it shows up in catechetics. In fact, when Hildebrand thought that the catechetical crisis was more serious than the liturgical, neither could exist without the other. If you had sound catechetics, they would not have endured the horizontalism of, of, of the modern liturgy. And if we had sublime liturgy, one would not have endured the stupidity of the new categories. So what we have to see is that uh, it all goes together, and that the only effective movement is this, that whatever is your specialty or your hobby, some people have this hobby and some people have this hobby, you should insert that hobby against the larger background of the total crisis. And you should begin to see that almost nothing is by accident, and that everything reinforces everything else in all these affairs. And I note this, that this authorized revolution concerning us, in a sense, the most serious uh, 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 locale, or locus, was in Mass itself. But as Davies points out, it also is adumbrated in the rite of holy orders. Davies has an excellent book on the order of Melchizedek. And one ought to see, because you see, the priest is the one who says Holy Mass. And in the moment a priest is formed, I don't say with heretical doctrine, but in the moment the formation, in the moment the very ordination ceremony mitigates or or does not stress this point and instead overstresses that point, the very consciousness of the priest changes. Does that make his Mass invalid? Not at all. But it gives him an identity crisis, which is the big fashion who am I what am I doing here well, I don't I don't blame your father if you listen to these stupid catechetics. if you've got all the pretty girls doing all your work in giving out communion reading doing everything but and preaching in some churches because why should we deprive the congregation of PhDs in theology well I, obviously I don't know what you're doing here either So this whole crisis, it's a priestly crisis, it's a liturgical crisis, it's a catechetical crisis. And I've always believed that the most wretched thing that has happened in the last 20 years was the Dutch catechism. I think that, because it's so intelligent, I mean, everything since then has been stupid. The typical catechism that has come out since the Dutch catechism is such that I say anyone who is seduced by it, Really ought to suffer for that because it's it's a uh, uh, negligible it's a uh, vincible ignorance. But the Dutch catechism was intelligent and it seemed to soar and it's got beautiful passages and all that. But it had every poison about this horizontalism, this lack of sense of the supernatural in in, in exchange for the natural and everything else. And this thing sucked the sense of. Truth and faith and supernatural out of the church, and where was authority then? As Hamish Fraser said, the church, the teaching office of the church, is perfect. Even during the reign of Paul the Sixth, we had magnificent teaching documents. I think his Credo of the People of God is magnificent. His Humani vitae is magnificent. Many of them. But Fraser says there was a temporary suspension of the governing authority of the church, that the, the, the church authorities are so, are so quick to pounce on a little schismatic saying mass with three people in attendance instead of sine popolo, that, yes, they hunt them down like, like wretches. But when this poisonous catechism was ordered, not promulgated, it was still translated into all these languages, the corrections were put at the end, nobody reads the correction, and the poison has seeped right through the church. So if we want to really fight the liturgical battle, I would not simply keep insisting on promultus and all this stuff. Look at that wretched Dutch catechism. And so far as I know, no one has thoroughly refuted it. It's forgotten We've transcended it that at one time it was a scandal, but now we're faced with so much more treachery, so much more brazen heresy that one forgets it. But I think historical research will show that that little Holland, which has so many virtues, that little Holland was the main vehicle for the demoralization of the church in that Dutch capitol. I remember at Fordham Fordham is allegedly well it's truly of Jesuit Catholic origin we honestly say we're secular now we did that for the sake of government fund free money you know it's free money but we used to have a lot of Catholics teaching and I remember the faculty those in philosophy at least oh it's beautiful Dutch catechism, just beautiful and and, and these were the Greenwood. They were daily communicants. And therefore they were not fit. They were not psychologically or physio- physio- philosophically fit to really enter into the problem of the literature. And, and I don't know how it happened, but the, the enemy knows all this. That there is some power, diabolical power, that wants to destroy the worship of the church. And is doing a great job and part of that, as I say, is this catechetical thought. Now, when it comes to the Mass, I take my, uh, uh, I am in no sense an expert, as I say, and I am satisfied and eternally grateful for the work of Michael Davies. That uh, I remember when I was at CUF, I said, oh, gee, I wish I had this document. I wish I could read Latin. I can't read Latin even. And you're taping this, I know But I admit that. I'm an idiot in languages. But even to find out which came first, was it that thing or this thing or this thing, well, at least Davies has given us all the documentation. I think he's given us a very honest analysis, and if you ask me, a very charitable and generous analysis, in his three volumes, Cranmer, Pope John, and Pope Paul's Mass. Those, Those three volumes, also in the Order of Melchizedek. And... I I agree with Davies that I don't uh, think that there were all these formal heresies. No, I think the accurate analysis has to say this, that in in with respect to the new missile, there was no authorized denial of anything essential. Well, there's plenty of unauthorized denial of everything essential. We know that. But so far as Rome and even Bonini went, you could say that Given the right interpretation, there was no authorized denial of anything essential, but obviously there was this emphasis, this nuance, as they're fond of saying, of one aspect to the exclusion of the other. And one thing apropos of this is how we have the liturgy of the word as opposed to the so-called principal parts of the mass. Van Hildebrand noted this too, that... This liturgy of the word, which used to be called the Mass of the Catechumens, despite the fact that Bouye thinks it was impoverished, and maybe we could have used a few new passages from the Bible, not from Teotihuacan, but this liturgy of the word has not the function of instructing. If you want to be instructed in the Bible, you have a Bible class. And you better make sure you have a, someone who believes the Bible is true, because if you have a Bible class and have a liberal teaching it, you might as well stay home. And that, that, I love this, that we're told how lucky we are. We have so much more biblical input in the Mass. At the same time, all our biblical experts, or most of them, like Raymond Brown, are eroding the literal sense of the most basic passages in the Bible. But... The, the Mass of the catechumens, as Hildebrand said, was to dispose us. It was to set the stage for what is to follow, the sacrifice. It had its variation, but it's by no means necessary. It's not even desirable that you read the Bible from beginning to end. And that would even presuppose daily Mass. And the people who go to daily Mass usually read the Bible anyhow. And I used to do this. I, you know, they always want social science. I, I don't know if you have these people... But in America, we have social scientists, and they're very offended because these stupid churchmen, all they want are philosophers and theologians, and they are turning their back on the input that the social sciences can give to the renewal of the church. Well, in a certain way, they're right. Why don't we have a sociologist, pay him a half million, he'll want it, and let him go to 500 churches across the country of the world with stopwatches, and let them time the liturgy of the Word as opposed to the liturgy of the Eucharist. And you're going to find out, at least in my church, I did that informally, therefore not scientifically, the liturgy of the Word never ends. Uh, Father Crane calls this the talking church. They first explain what it's all about after they greet you, and then they read this, and then they read that, which I admit is in the Missal, then it's not a sermon, but it's some sort of an explanation of this, and so on and so on. And the clock is going. Uh, it's sometimes 18 minutes past on a weekday. Then, from that moment to the end of Mass, is four minutes. Especially if they have Eucharistic ministers, extraordinary ministers. We have 80 in our parish, very extraordinary, while the priest sits down. So, I mean, this already tells you something is wrong. That they have taken the act of worship of the church, and they act as if the theme is instruction. And this is a distortion. Is it heresy? Obviously not. How could you be heretical if you merely read the Bible? But some passages from the Bible are kind of boring. Ox begot Zig and Zig begot Mig and this this is what we need. I mean, even that could be good in the right place. I could see if the theme of the Mass is is the birth of Christ, you want the generations of Christ. But some of these Old Testament passages have no relevance to worship. But now the experts gotta get it in and if see, we're no longer impoverished. We have rich readings. And of course at Fordham uh, they're much richer because we will not restrict ourselves to the Bible. I mean, we have wonderful Jesuit thinkers like Teo. So he very often is is the reading for the day. And I find that at Fordham, they have Dutch, uh, I don't know, uh, it's in English, but it says, uh, it's printed in Holland, they have Dutch canons, which I have never heard of. I and mean, I think it would be interesting uh, for further researches into the productivity of the conciliate church, this whole uh, flowing of culture coming from the church. And if you read that, you need a microscope to find any resemblance to authorized canons. But we have Now, this whole problem is, uh, I think everyone notes that uh, I don't... You see, in this country, I believe that your chief antagonist in religion or your separated brother is the Anglican Church, which certainly has a sense, a form. But in America, we have the old tinkling piano church. We have good people, but no sense. for They, they have barren things. Everything looks like a, a hospital operating room. The plain wood. And no altar, no flowers, no this and no that. And everything in these churches is preaching. Now, I think they're darn good preachers. That if the Roman clergy want to, to be more effective speaking, they ought to learn from their separated brethren how to hold an audience spellbound. But this is not worship. This is all lecture. Now, the point is this, that our, our reformers, and I think this has been authorized by, if not by Rome, it's been permitted by Rome, our reformers have... Wanted to be, they are the puritanical vandals, and they get rid of images, they get rid of this good, or sometimes it's artistically only mediocre, but at least it speaks to the heart. They get rid of all these things, and they replace it with antiseptic words. And I think this is a great crisis in the liturgy. Again, we have to see that there are these symbols which. James Hitchcock, I don't know if you know James Hitchcock, he's an American historian, a young man who's in no way sympathetic to Lefebvre or even the Tridentine Bass, but he's an honorable enough man to tell people what's happening on his own level. And Hitchcock notes that outward symbols are by no means essential, that the essentials of things have their full validity quite apart from outward symbols, But for most people, if something is out of sight, it's out of mind. If you merely have an intellectual religion about the great action of Jesus and this and this, but if you don't genuflect, if you don't see other people genuflect, you first of all, you're scandalizing each other. And sooner or later, you don't believe. Faith is a fragile thing. Faith has to be nourished by catechetics. Again and again you return to the Word of God because God assures us through Christ and the Church that He is present in the Mass. That there is a thing called an angelic choir. That there is such a thing as eternity. There is such a thing as this, that as this sublime reality in the life of the person. And when, when you keep refreshing yourself with this, then in your bodily actions you express it, you confirm your own faith, you confirm the presence. But when everyone has this casual attitude to strutting around, this doing this, this standing all the time, it scandalizes everyone and it gives us the message there's nothing there. One day we forget to read the words of Christ. We forget to, to uh, uh, rehearse what Christ has said. And as a result, there's this chatter affair in the church. Now, did Rome authorize this? Well, it certainly didn't stop it. This wholesale secularization of the right, well, it, you can't say that they are runaway priests who were disciplined. It comes at least from diocesan offices and, I dare say, from Bonini himself. That we have a big scandal now in America because during the see, uh, they read from the uh, rubric of the New Ordo promulgated by Pope Paul. That one stands for a lot and sits for a lot, but at least they say you kneel during the consecration. Well, in my church, we updated that so that this is the whole thing. And, and, and this, what, what, what are they trying to prove? Well, we're adults now. You see, see God, you thought you were, we were little kids. Well, we're grown up now. It's stupid. Hildebrand used to call it a puberty crisis. <laughs> And, of course, we have uh, this emphasis on the Lord's Supper. Every one of these things, of course, is documented by Davies and, and developed in a much better way, but I just want to highlight it, that this whole idea of the assembly, Hamish Fraser said that there's some genius in Scotland now who says we should no longer speak of the church as the house of God, we should rather speak of the church as the house of the people of God. This horizontalism. And based on a rotten theology, by the way, of Christ and our neighbor. Uh, where do I find Christ? Well, he and he and he and here. And, here, and, here. Uh, and they allege the text, Whatsoever you did to the least of my brethren, you did to me. But that's totally irrelevant to this. That that, that is a different mystery. In our conduct toward our neighbor, Christ warns us we shall be judged in our deeds toward the brother, as if they were done toward him, because in some way he is there. But Christ is in the first place in the Holy Trinity. And if the church is not the house of this awesome mystery, well then it's a meeting hall. And this whole horizontalism at at my parish, which I do not attend, as I say, everybody I know, by the way, drives to a different parish. That's why we have a petrol shortage. (laughs) If we stayed in the parish church, we wouldn't, but Uh, There's a nice little, there's a sign in the auditorium where the children come in with a glass of wine and and some wheat and bread or something. You are cordially invited by Jesus Christ to attend his banquet. Isn't that touching? Isn't that meaningful? And obviously, no one denies the Mass as supper, as sacred supper, not convivial Chattering as Manila presented a kind of breakfast atmosphere. No one denies that, but the mass is simultaneously sacrificed. It is Golgotha. It is this awesome act of the God man on Calvary. And this has been at least mitigated, never denied. I wish there had been some honesty in a sense. And some heretics simply said, we think that sacrifice is a medieval papist invention. And let's go back to the biblical understanding, which our separated brethren understand as as this sacrifice only of praise and thanksgiving. But no, the Roman faith for which your martyrs have died, and we'll probably get a few martyrs in America if it keeps up. I hope we'll be able to die for it is that we are all this famous people of God, is all turned toward the Father, not toward each other. The high priest leads us, and the, and the sacrificing priest is part of the one priesthood of Jesus Christ. The priesthood, not the master of ceremonies. And that we, the, that this priest offers Christ himself in an unbloody sacrifice. Now, if you deny this, it's heresy, But if you diminish it, if you somehow vacate it of its urgency, if all your accoutrements, all your gestures, all your church architecture is such that this is not understood, you've cheated the people of their inheritance. We are defrauded of our inheritance.